0: Good evening. I'm thankful to have the opportunity to be able to study a portion of God's Word with you. And I hope that the topic under consideration and the scriptures that we look at will be edifying to you. If you're visiting, we are thankful that you're here and we hope that you'll give us the opportunity to get to meet you once the services are over. The topic that I would like to look at is God's healing for the world's hurt and what our response should be. If you would, we'll turn to Isaiah chapter 53 and read verse 6. Isaiah 53 and verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. It sounds like we as humans have a problem. The comparison of us to sheep wondering fills us in on just how big of a problem that we have. We don't have the power within ourselves to bring us back or to do enough good once we have gone astray. Most people here tonight probably haven't owned sheep or ran sheep but for the few of us that have we can attest to the fact that this is not a one-time deal and then they just never go astray. It's even a continuous issue at times within a fence. One or several can go um, get separated from the rest of the flock and if you stand there long enough you can watch them and it might take a while but if they eventually hear them they might find their way back and if that's not the case they'll run until they hit a fence and then just follow their way back until they eventually get back to the rest. As believers, God's word, so to speak, is our fence. Without it, we wouldn't know what to do when we are faced with problems, and we would not know how to get back. Isaiah chapter 53 filled us in on the fact that we have a problem, and John chapter 1 verse 29 will let us know what that problem is and how it is remedied. John chapter 1 verse 29 says, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. The problem is sin, and Jesus is the solution. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 9. We'll pull a, a, a decent amount of reading out of this chapter as we go through our sermon this evening. Hebrews chapter 9. <coughs> And we'll read verses 11 through 28. It says, But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the and heifer sprinkling, the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament. That means that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and of the goats and water, and of scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined you to. Moreover, he sprinkled the blood with the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that, by, that the patterns of the things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year without, with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as, it a, and as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for, the, that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation." There's quite a bit that we could unpack out of these verses but I want to pull a couple of things from it for our consideration. In verse 12 the blood of goats and calves that are talked about is tied back to Leviticus chapter 16 and the ashes of the red heifer takes us back to numbers 19. The reference of the blood of bulls and goats reminds us as that on the day of atonement once a year the high priest would enter into the holy place and make a sacrifice for the sins of all the people that would roll their sins forward. It did not wipe them out, it just rolled them forward. The blood of Jesus is far superior to that of goats and calves because it has the power to wash our sins away completely. And Jesus did this with a one-time sacrifice of his blood. It is far superior in the fact that he is God in flesh, he's deity. It is far superior in the fact that he came, I'm sorry, he he was tempted and remained sinless and spotless. The blood of Jesus is far superior to that of goats and calves because of what we read in verse 14. It said, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The blood of goats and calves cannot purify or cleanse the conscience of man, but the blood of Jesus can. The blood of Jesus can purge us from dead works and works of the flesh to service in the kingdom of God. A goat or a calf cannot offer itself up, but Jesus offered himself freely and consciously as a sinless and pure and lasting sacrifice to cleanse our conscience and to redeem us. The blood of Jesus has the power to transform our hearts. We'll look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Jesus was crowned with glory and honor because of the death and the suffering that he willingly endured. This reminds me of something that Jackson often says in his prayers. He says that he's thankful that Jesus died a death that he did not deserve so that we could receive a gift that we do not deserve. Let's look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll read verses 21 through 24. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who is his own self? Who, it- who his own self bear our sins in his own body. On the tree that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Jesus was perfect in all points of his life and in his agonizing death on the cross. He was perfect in word and thought and deed. He died on a cross that we might not spiritually die in hell. We don't deserve heaven, but Christ died that we might enter into that rest. If we will forsake our sin, die to it, and live in righteousness in our service to God. In these verses we have read so far, we have noted that we have a problem as humans. And that problem's sin. We have noted the solution, the price that was paid for our problem, and how we should respond to it. The world's problem is hurt. It's clearly marked, and it is sin, a wicked nature. The solution to our sin is Jesus. The price that was paid for our sin is priceless. The love that was poured out in the gift of Jesus is almost incomprehensible. Our response to it should be love, obedience, and a righteous life live for God. And there are several proposed ways to rid the world of sin, as we can find in this world. One is to deny it, which is Eddyism or Christian science. We can just quit it, which is a worldly idea. Or we can claim God's perfect sacrifice, Jesus, and let him bear them away. I'd like to look at the last way, to look at God's plan. God's healing for the world's hurt is to present to the world a perfect and complete sacrifice. In other religions, man provides a sacrifice for their God. But in Christianity, God provides a full and complete sacrifice for men. First, God's sacrifice is holy and innocent. We'll go back to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9 and verse 14. It says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And also in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And also in Hebrews chapter 4, we'll read verse 15. Hebrews 4, verse 15 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. These verses, along with many others, speak to the perfectness and sinlessness of Jesus. He is holy and he is innocent. Secondly, God's sacrifice is willing and unprotesting. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 7 says, He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus willingly went to the cross. He did not protest. He didn't holler that he would remember what has been done to him. But rather, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even in death and pain, he showed compassion, mercy, forgiveness, and love. He didn't jump up and down and scream of his innocence. Rather, he willingly endured and patiently suffered the shame and agony of the cross, and our sins he embodied and nailed to it. Let's look at John chapter 10, verse 15. read John chapter 10, verses 15 through 18. It says, As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This commandment I have received of my Father. Jesus willingly gave his life. In verse 18, Jesus said, no one can take it from me. No one has the power to take the life of Jesus. And this is truly an amazing thought when you think about and recall the death that he endured. He could have called legions of angels to rescue him, but he willingly laid his life down for each of us. Next, God's sacrifice is bleeding and dying. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. We'll look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. Colossians 1, verses 19 through 20. It says, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in heaven, I'm sorry, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. We've read about the shed blood of Jesus. In Hebrews 9 it said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Jesus did shed his blood. We have the opportunity and ability to receive forgiveness of our sins because of his shed blood and because his victory over death. God's sacrifice is his own. Hebrews 9 and verse 12 says, He entered in once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. He entered in by his own blood. In arguably one of the most well-known verses, John 3:16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoso- whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. To me, this just expresses just how much God really loves us, that he gave of his own. He didn't borrow someone else's calf or goat or child. He loved us so much and desired for us to have the ability to be reconciled to him that he was willing to give of his own, to give his son, to give his perfect son and his sinless son. He was willing to do this so that some might accept him and trust him, believe in him and obey him. God's sacrifice is in place of the guilty. Isaiah 53, once again in verse 6, says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on the iniquity of us all. This is a prophecy of of Jesus and the death that he would face. It didn't say that when he went to the cross, he would take his own sin. It said that he would lay on him the sin of me, And of y'all, that he would bear the sins of the world. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5 says, Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. To him, Jesus, he's freed us from our sins. Jesus stood in our place. He was our substitute to the punishment that we deserved. We can see that Jesus freed us, I'm sorry, we can see what Jesus freed us from was sin. And it was our sin. And the mode by which it was done was through his shed blood. Next, God's sacrifice is purifying to the souls of men. We'll look again at Hebrews 9 and verse 14. It says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, through the eternal Spirit, offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The sacrifice of Jesus is purifying to our souls because it will purge or it will remove a vile and sin-stained conscience from dead works to service in God's kingdom. Next, God's service, sacrifice, is complete, final, and eternal. Hebrews 9 and 12 says, "...He entered in once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood." Thus securing eternal redemption. He entered in once. His sacrifice is complete. And also in Hebrews 9, we'll look at verses 25 through 28. It says, Nor was it nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters in the holy places every year, with blood not of his own with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as, as it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having offered once to bear the sins of many, he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. It says he didn't offer himself repeatedly like the high priest. He didn't do it this year after year. His sacrifice is sufficient, and it's final. I love the way that the ESV phrases verse 28. It says that he was offered once to bear the sins of many, and when he appears the second time, he's not dealing with sin. It was taken care of at the cross, but he's coming to save those who eagerly are waiting for him. His sacrifice is eternal. His sacrifice is complete in its purpose, is final in his death on the cross, and has eternal blessings for those that are obedient to him. God's sacrifice is available for all men everywhere. As we read earlier, John 3 and verse 16 says, For God so loved the world. It didn't say for God so loved man or woman or Americans or Africans or Middle Easterns. He loves everyone. He loved everyone and does love everyone located everywhere. The gospel of Jesus works in any time or place to any man, regardless of race or their region. John chapter 1, verse 29 again says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The world. Hebrews 2 and verse 9, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Jesus endured death for everyone. That doesn't seem to leave anyone out. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, it says, He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Verse after verse, we can see that Jesus was the substitute for the death that we deserved. And he paid that debt one time in full for all men. I don't know of a better story of this one than this one. What words come to mind when you picture the scene of the cross? The words that come to my mind are cleansing, power, hope, satisfaction, consolation, redemption, salvation. What should our response be to those of us that are Christians to this great sacrifice God has given us in Jesus? Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As we can read in chapters prior to uh, chapter 12 in Romans, we can read of the wrath of God against sin. We can read of God's impartial judgment of the Jews and Gentiles. We can see that no flesh is justified by the deeds of the law. We read that believers are dead to the law and that they, are in, they that are in Christ are free from condemnation. We see the ground and assurance of the Christian's hope and that Gentiles are called and that salvation is opened up to all believers, both Jews and Gentiles. And then we get to chapter 12 and Paul says, I beseech you. Beseech means to ask someone urgently and fervently to do something, to implore, to entreat. Paul is fervently pleading with them. He's begging them, in light of the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to him. The only reasonable response to God's mercy and him giving us eternal life through his son Jesus is to give him our lives as a living sacrifice for his purpose and for his glory. We should desire to become living, breathing sacrifices, using our lives in service to God as a constant act of worship. This is not a way for us to earn salvation, but rather it should be our natural response to being saved. The only way to have this mindset is to get rid of the selfish nature and pattern of the world and have our minds transformed in order to be able to understand what God wants, for, wants of us. As part of living our lives as a living sacrifice to God, our second response then should be to persuade all men everywhere to accept this sacrifice. We'll look at 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness. But as longsuffering to us we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Considering the love that God has bestowed on us and made available to all men and knowing that he's faithful to keep his promises, we should have a great fervor to present the gospel to everyone that they might have the opportunity to obey it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18-20 through 20 says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambas- ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. As those who have been reconciled to God through Jesus, we are representatives of Christ and we have been given the ministry of reconciliation that barrier that used to stand between us and God that barrier being sin was taken away when we were reconciled to him as ambassadors of Christ we have been entrusted with the message of reconciliation and have been ordered to spread that message that message is that through Jesus we have the ability to have our sins forgiven and removed and that we can be in union with God As humans, we have a problem, and that problem's sin. It separates us from God. If you haven't accepted the sacrifice that God gave us through Jesus, why haven't you, and why wait any longer? God has given us the greatest healing for a world that is hurting and for a world that is incapable of remedying itself of. If you have paid attention this evening, you've heard God's word. This is the first prerequisite to accepting the gift of God. Do you believe his word? John chapter 20 verse 31 says, But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Are you willing to repent of your sins, to turn away from them and to turn to Christ? Luke 13 verse 3 says, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Are you ready to confess that Jesus is the Son of God? Romans 10 verses 9 through 10 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Are you ready to be baptized? Mark 16 verse 16 says, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will will be condemned. We are told in 1 Peter chapter 3 that just as Noah and his family was saved by water, we too are also. This is an act of faith, submission, and surrendering to God through a simple yet powerful act. I hope that the scriptures that we have looked at have been a reminder to you of the love that God has freely given to each one of us, and that it will help and encourage you to live a life closer to him each day. If there is one that needs the prayers of the church or desires to become a child of God, we would ask that you'd come forward at this time as we stand and sing the song of invitation.